Hi, this is Susan Billmeyer, encouraging you to go forth and be brilliant in your own truth, simplicity, love, and service. And you are listening to The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. Hi, I'm Robin Renee, and this is The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. And I'm Wendy Sheridan, and welcome to episode 123. And we have another interview in our season of freedom today that's coming up later in the show. We have so far looked at freedom from many different aspects over the course of the last several months. And today I will share my conversation with longtime friend Susan Billmeyer. Uh, much of her work has been in religion, ethics, and philosophy applied to higher education and nonprofit management. So uh, we'll start out learning about that work and what that means. And she also really wanted to talk about the spiritual concept of moksha, freedom from ego. Uh, so it's going to be, it's a really good conversation. It's very accessible to people from any spiritual or religious path or none at all. And I'm hoping you'll stick around for that. But before that, we're going to go back into our Ikigai segment uh, to talk about the second pillar of Ikigai, which is releasing yourself. It dovetails very well into what Susan Bill Meyer is talking about, actually. So Yes, I think this this was I, really a happy accident. I'm very oh, happy that this came Oh, okay. Together. I thought we actually planned this. <laughs> Did we plan it? We maybe I, I kind of planned it. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> We, we, we did some light planning, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> in the last, since our last show, actually in our last show, I had COVID and I didn't know that. Wow. <laughs> this is my check-in for, for this episode. You know, I thought that my really rough voice and feeling a little horrible and weird was due to the massive amounts of uh, weed that I had smoked prior to starting the show. But, uh... It was actually COVID. We had my husband brought it home and gave it to everybody because he didn't think he had it. He thought he had strep, and um, I'm uh, not contagious anymore now. But as you can hear it in my voice, I'm still um, recovering, and it sucks. I mean, we weren't sick like I've had flu way worse than what we had. We are all you know, uh, double vaxxed and boosted. And I, and the really stupid thing was I was going to go for my second booster last week, but I couldn't because I actually had COVID and you, you know, sort of why are you, <laughs> you can't really get a vaccine for the disease you are actually experiencing. So there's that. And I'm hoping that I can get my energy back because it's like I can do maybe two things in a day. And then it's like, I'm done. I'm exhausted. And I have to take a nap or something. I, I'm not happy with it. And I have much more sympathy for people who have chronic fatigue illnesses, because I, I hate not being able to do things. Yeah. So I, I was really bummed, of course, when I saw this news that you had COVID and it really 
clicked in, you know, based on how you were feeling and you had said that your spouse was not well. Um, and I was worried that you were going to get strep or something anyway. And then when I found out it was this, I was like, oh, great, you know. Um, <laughs> and I just, you know, I'm very, very glad that you were all doing relatively well. And I hope that yeah. the lingering, you know, tiredness ends soon because that's I hope just, so. yeah, it's a bummer. It does. It does. And it put a kibosh on our weekend our, plans. <laughs> yeah. Last weekend was Beltane and we were going to get together and do things and no, yeah. <laughs> it didn't happen. <laughs> um, and I also, I do have a mini rant that, that, uh, that I, I want to share with, with, with our listeners. I just, because all of these things happen within the, a similar time frame. First, uh, since the Leftscape is a political podcast, Facebook requires us to um, identify ourselves, and suddenly a scan of my driver's license is not sufficient, and I have to go fill out this stupid piece of paper and go find a notary and do something with that with them. Same. I need to do that. I, I, I have to check to make sure I didn't let my time expire. I think I can still do it through May. I have till the 15th of May. It's probably the same for you. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll so we have we're required to do that, or we're not allowed to boost posts for the podcast because Facebook is a poopy head. And yeah, but we don't <laughs> want bots doing these things, so I get it. But I, I yeah, but why I can't they see our licenses? Or, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I scanned it. It's like this is not high resolution enough. It's like oh my god. Um, and then and then yesterday I get a letter from my spouse's insurance company needing to prove that I'm still married to him and can be on the policy. And it's like, why are you guys, you know, every fucking year I have to do this. So yeah. And I said, poopy head and fucking in the same rant. So <laughs> I, <yeah>. <laughs> rated <laughs> various for various ratings. People can believe what they want to believe or not. So how was your last fortnight? Rob? <laughs> it was good. I, I have been very inspired by Lindsey Buckingham lately, and I got to see him perform in Glenside, PA uh, last week, which was oh, great. Cool. So that was that was a really good show, and it was the first time I'd been in a you know crowded space like indoors for a while. And it, you know it was it was another one of those bait and switch things. Like first of all, the concert was excellent, so that part <laughs> was good. But now I'm going to rant. <laughs> okay, just it, it it reminded me of when the um, People were on the plane, and then mid-flight they announced that you don't have to wear a mask anymore, and people just start taking them off. So, oh god, <laughs> which is crazy. But when I, you know, got the ticket for this show, it said that proof of vaccination was needed or or a negative test, and that they were, you know, masks were in the theater were necessary. And so, really, neither of those things happened. No one asked for oh, my my. Wow. Uh, proof of acts at all and they did hand out like if someone if they saw someone without a mask they'd hand them out to them like as they were going in but really almost no one wore them so oh, wow. it was like hmm well mm. yeah it was weird but i feel like i feel like i'm starting to get used to that because it's i'm definitely in a minority of people wearing masks at, at this point so it's yeah. just kind of odd but that also, you know, dovetail into the fact that I'm I'm traveling. I'm going to California next week already. Wow. And that's, you know, I'm very happy. It's been a long time since I've 
been out that way. I love Southern California and I'm going to the Cruel World Festival where like oh. every band ever is playing. <laughs> <laughs> every band ever well, of a certain genre, many bands are playing, which is exciting and going out to see an old, my old roommate and old friends and stuff, you know, but getting on a plane has not happened since before all of this. So that's going to be a little bit daunting. Um, yeah. But, you know, I will stay masked as much as possible and just try to take care of myself the best I can. But I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Yeah, well, I hope you have a good time. And I just have to tell you, my daughter went to Connecticut to see Pretty Woman because uh, okay. her one of her college friends is the lead in it, which is kind of amazing. And they had this seesaw thing with covid and masking first first it was masks required and then it was oh no you don't have to wear a mask and then when she got to the theater it's like i guess you know the the government the connecticut relaxed the mask requirements and the theater instantly you know told them that but then they had to go look at their contract again and the actors are you know demand that everyone in the audience be masked so they all had to wear masks during the performance which made her more comfortable. And I was just amused about how they were yes, no, yes, no, yes, with right. the with the whole mask thing. So there's a lot of that going around. <laughs> yeah. And and yeah, and I watched I watched the video from Trevor Noah's the correspondence dinner that he was emceeing or he was the Oh comedian. yeah, I haven't seen that yet. How was it? And it was it was he's very funny. I mean, he, you know, he threw in a bunch of impersonations for a little part of it. And, and, uh, but, you know, they kept panning the, you know, showing the audience. And at first it didn't look like there was a mask to be seen. And then eventually they started zooming in on like five or six people who were actually wearing masks. I think Bernie was there and he may have had a mask on, but, you know, it was, um, did he have his mittens too? No. <laughs> <laughs> I but just it was picture him sitting in that chair like that meme. <laughs> <laughs> but it was re it was refreshing to see that yes, there were some people in that audience who were masked, but a lot of yeah, it's people aren't doing it so much anyway. <laughs> anyway, that, that's check. our check. <laughs> that's our check in. Check. You can catch a new episode of The Leftscape every other Wednesday, for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> our next show might be a day or so late, but anyway, that is the basic thing to look for us on Wednesdays. And please do subscribe to our show on our website, leftscape.com, or find us wherever you get your podcasts. So make sure you sign up for automatic downloads so you don't miss a show. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Leftscape. You can check out our show notes on the website, which features links for you to follow our show guests and to get more information on topics we discuss. And while you're on our site, please don't forget to sign up for our monthly-ish newsletter, The Leftscape Lookout. Your downloads, likes, follows, and subscriptions really help us grow. And if you want to go one step beyond, please leave us a review if you can. We'd like to. We'd like five star reviews. Yeah, those are good. <laughs> and a few kind words wherever you listen. So Absolutely. thanks. Thank you so much. And on our Patreon, supporters can listen to our latest exclusive. We should be recording this segment, and uh, this time it's sex, drugs, and rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> and we, uh, I guess, inspired by our 420 show, we decided to open up about our personal experiences with uh, various mind-altering substances. And, you know, 
good stories, war stories, but just a lot of and a little, and a little bit of TMI. Yeah, <laughs> TMI. That's usually what we should be recording. This winds up being a little bit, but yeah, it's uh, I think it's a good conversation, and and you can join our Patreon for as little as one dollar a month. If you join at higher levels, you can receive exclusive swag, discounts, invitations to events. Yeah, again, your support really does help us improve the podcast, and um, we really appreciate every one of you. So thank you. Yes, thank you. <laughs> so, so we have a rewind. For, uh, <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> and and you. One probably would have heard it if you are a patron. The The TLDR version is podcasting high sucks. Just and say no. <laughs> just say no. Well, it, yeah, I, I do not like having to operate anything more complicated than a lighter when I'm stoned. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was definitely an interesting experiment to do our our show that came out on 420 in, in a 420 <laughs> state of mind. And um, I, I also, I don't prefer, I, I really like to be, if I'm doing anything like that, just be settled and be still and not, and not have to be responsible for things. And so yeah. it was, uh, it, it, and even though things are fun and funny in that state of mind, I think it doesn't really make for your best and most high minded conversation ever. <laughs> no. <laughs> So, you know, so our we realized our last show was not really our greatest, perhaps, but I think the interview was good because we were in regular states of mind when yeah. it happened. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it was it was an interesting uh it was an interesting thing. So that's all I'll say. <laughs> okay. Uh so now we're gonna get into our three random facts and the news. And our first random fact is a flamingo's head must be upside down for it to be able to eat. It's a short fact. Hmm. That's weird, but... It is weird, but I, I think sense. it's like the, the top of their beak has all the filtration bits. Yeah. So... Yeah, yeah. Very it's good. A short, a short fact. Yes, I like <laughs> it. And my second fact is not random because I'm very <laughs> fixated on Lindsay Buckingham lately. <laughs> But I discovered that Gregory Fenton Buckingham, who was the older brother of Lindsay Buckingham of Fleetwood Mac fame, won a silver medal in the 200-meter individual medley in the 1968 Summer Olympics in Mexico City, which is oh, wow. really awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that is super cool. That's the swimming, right? Swimming, yeah. Swimming yes. competition. And okay. it was the same It was the same Olympics where they had the famous uh, Black Power fist protest oh, okay yeah so that was pretty awesome. cool awesome. yeah and uh here's another animal fact uh clownfish begin life as males change into females and cobidae do the opposite some species including gobies can change sex back and forth the transformation may be triggered by age size or social status and there are nine species of fish that change gender that's so. so cool. I wish yeah. I could do that. <laughs> well, you you kind of do. I kind of do. <laughs> That's true, actually. That's why right. they call it gender fluid, because it's after the fish, and they're in the water. And... <laughs> right. There you go. <laughs> uh. And now it's time for all the news we can handle. 
All right. My first news item is a very, very local news item. Uh, last week, a black bear suddenly appeared in town and the entire town has been losing their shit over this. Uh, I have not seen this bear, uh, but I keep, you know, I there were a bunch of warnings from the police and and text alerts and all this stuff and and the the face the, the, the community facebook page had blew the fuck up about this bear <laughs> and and it is still at large they have not found it and caught it yet and relocated it so and the other thing is they give you there's conflicting information about what to do if you are in the vicinity of a bear one of them is you're supposed to stand very still. Another one is you're supposed to you know, stand very still and quiet or make yourself as big as possible and loud as possible, which is kind of like the opposite of standing still. You like put your arms up and make a lot of noise. And and this actually <laughs> ended up being in a trivia, uh, this trivia game on Netflix we found. That was just because they had both of those things. But I think the first thing you do is you stand still and just hope it ignores you and moves on. And But you never run away from a bear because that will trigger their uh, hunting, chasing reflex. Right. That one I knew. And it, it's like, I I feel like the don't thing I've heard about it. making noise is when hiking, like they encourage people to like, break hike some sticks loudly. and hike hike loudly yeah like make sound <laughs> because the, then you just won't encounter the bear because it just won't want to come you near want, you it'll yeah you don't want to startle one by just poof you know appearing at them because right. they'll go up <laughs> yeah yeah that's interesting and it's very interesting that we both have bear news <laughs> in our vicinities at the same time because there's one there was one in my town a couple of years ago and and it, it was exactly what you're describing everyone was like freaking out about it you know <laughs> um but now there's one it's a uh, it's not maybe half hour or so away it's kind of near in mount laurel new mm. jersey so it's not you know right close to me but a little farther than half hour but um there have been sightings and people are going like oh my god a black bear and you know i mean i don't know uh they're coming they're moving south i guess or they they're they're always bears in new jersey but it could just be the yeah. season right well i associate them with being farther north jersey i know you know people oh yeah we used to hang out with and stuff um it was more commonplace around right. them yeah but so. i mean there is well actually there aren't i don't know i don't know where it would come from for us but anyway yeah anyway. <laughs> so either stand still and make a lot of noise and hopefully you won't encounter a bear anyway yeah, yeah that's <laughs> that's my hope so my news i've been thinking about just just the way the pandemic's going and there's been some sort of back and forth news about it very recently dr anthony fauci came out and said that the pandemic phase was over, but then he sort of backpedaled it and said, well, what he really meant was that it's it's like less in the critical phase of pandemic right now, but it's still it's still very much out there. You know, I think I understand what he meant, but people people take it to extremes. You say oh, this it's over, then they think, oh, everything's just done. And that that was not yeah. what he meant really. It's just that I think um the 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 percentage of people who are getting extremely sick and hospitalized has definitely gone down. Yes. 
ratio, you know, in comparison to the number of people that have been infected. And they're saying now that a majority, like 60% of Americans have had COVID now. Yes. So you're, you're trending now, Wendy. Yay. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> and, you know, that, that combined with vaccinations is definitely helping it become less of a urgent crisis, but it still is very much Right. You know, it's still it's still a danger. It's not like it's gone for sure. But, you know, maybe it's stepped down a notch. But, you know, I'm going to continue to be cautious as I've been. So, I mean, after that. two years of not being sick at all, it, it, I like not being sick at all. That's, uh, that's helped. Sorry, it's you nice, know? right? <laughs> I, I never, I didn't even get a cold for the last two years. So, right. but, the, <laughs> but the other thing I wanted to say about this is it's just really a PSA. I was speaking with someone who I really care about very much. And I was really surprised to learn that they had chosen not to be vaccinated or not to vaccinate their family. And they kept using the term gene therapy. Like, I don't trust this gene therapy. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't, we don't know what it's going to do and all of that. And it really made me realize that just because I think the use of that term tends to indicate that someone has heard some misinformation along the way <laughs> because typically that the, well, that term wouldn't be used if it was in like the clearest scientific language that describes the the, the vaccine because it's it's not it's gene not therapy. no so that is just my psa to like please like i was just reading a reuters article basically that was like sort of fact checking this and just saying that like mrna you know introduces a bit of RNA that gets your body to code for the, the spike of the, right. of the, the, the COVID vaccine. Um, sorry. It trains, uh, it trains your killer T cells to recognize the disease. Right. Right. So it, it, it gets your body to make that spike so that it can recognize it and, you know, knock it and down. Kill and, it. Yeah. Yes. And it builds your immune that way. But gene therapy means deliberately altering your genes for a certain effect. Like if you have a genetic disease or something and you're actually going in and changing something in your, yeah. in your genes. A genetic disease like sickle cell anemia. Right. Exactly. So this is, that's, that's not what this vaccine does. It's not, it's not a CRISPR thing where it's like chopping up your, you know, genes and changing them or doing anything like that. So I hope that people will, as they're able you know, if if they're still hesitant, and and this again is a person who is really absolutely understands that the flu vaccine and and polio vaccines are are, are miracles. It's not someone who's anti you know vax, but just has seems to have some information that's not correct. And so, I think we still every time there's an opportunity to just put that out there again. Um, <laughs> it's important to help people think about yes. it. You know, so there's that. And in other news, there is a second Amazon facility in Staten Island that is voting about becoming a union shop. And I hope they vote yes and that they're unionized. And I actually hope that the rest of Amazon does that. You yeah. know? It's a cool, it's an inspiring trend. Yes. I and, like it. And the January 6th committee has been working on getting to the bottom of the insurrection uh, on January 6th, a year ago at the Capitol. And they've been going through these text messages that really reveal so much about 
what people were thinking and doing on that day, like leading, leading up to it and on the day. Apparently, Mark Meadows turned over a lot of his texts before he stopped cooperating. There's a bunch that he has refused to give up, but he's given up like over 2,000 text messages or so. Yeah, and I, and I kind of remember reading, I don't know if it was an op-ed or just an essay saying that considering the content of the texts that he did release, they're going like, what the hell was the ones that he held back? Right? <laughs> it makes you think. Because it's it really is, it shows such a clear uh, planning, you know, between Sean Hannity sort of figuring out how he's going to pitch the, you know, that the, the election was stolen or or whatever, just try to cast doubt on our, the elective election system. There's a text by Marjorie Taylor Greene. There's Ivanka's in there. There's a lot of, it's just, I don't feel like I should still be shocked by these things, <laughs> but it's really just to see it so plainly. I mean, we're, we're going to keep hearing more for sure, but it's, uh, it's, it's interesting and scary stuff. Yeah. yeah. In international news, three consecutive failed rainy seasons have brought hunger, malnutrition, and mass displacement to millions of people in the Horn of Africa, including parts of Ethiopia, Somalia, Kenya, and Djibouti. As many as 600,000 children are not in school because of this drought, and families are marrying off their daughters. Really, you know, be, uh, the child bride marriage rate has spiked because of this. Um, and they're marrying off their daughters for dowries from the husband's family to increase their own income and to hope that their daughters will be fed and protected by wealthier families. And uh, there's also the, um, the WHO is concerned about a potential spike in cholera cases in this area and a lot of other bad things. And sadly, this is like happening at a really shitty time because we also have, you know, the food um, distribution network interrupted because of the Ukrainian war, which isn't going to help either. Yeah. So I'm not sure, you know, what, what we can do here in America other than sending, you know, NGOs in that area money for them to help people. I think that would pretty much be what we can do. Yeah. I usually try to look for like a re reliable list that yeah. people have vetted that are are places that you can send something to. But that's disturbing, but good to be aware of. Thank you for yeah. that. I mean, it, it, that's stuff that gets completely buried here. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't even know there was a drought for four seasons. You know, that's like four years ago. For the last four years, there's been a drought there. Yeah, that's that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just thinking about the Ukraine war. I mean, that's been... It's just been going as it's not, I haven't heard any big news, except I think that in um, they're negotiating some way of some civilians to evacuate from Mariupol. Yeah. I did hear that this morning. So um, yeah, I, I heard some shitty things about, I, you know, I didn't want to fill up our news thing with a, a, a big pile of awful. Right. And, and uh, you know, I heard in, in, in Mariupol that there's, um, there's food shortages also. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot that's kind of beyond. I, I've purposely have avoided some videos and things of 
I mean, I want to be aware, but I don't want to be traumatized and be really useless either. <laughs> I don't know. It's uh, it's tough stuff. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah, so May does offer us some positive things to look forward to and celebrate. Beltane is a major uh, festival of, of fertility and fire in the pagan traditions, which we celebrate on May 1st. And that was would have been fun, but we didn't really do it this year. <laughs> but some people did. Somewhere people did, which yes. is good. And it's uh, it's National Masturbation Month all month. So. Oh, yeah. We should have led with that. But. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Happy masturbation. Absolutely. That's that's you know that's a good thing to celebrate whenever appropriately. Whenever <laughs> one feels not on your Zoom call, not on Zoom, <laughs> or at least not on camera on your Zoom call. Right. Right. And um, <laughs> and Saturday, May seventh is World Nude Gardening Day. So I actually have a date on World Nude Gardening Day, so that might be a thing that happens. It'll be, okay. It'll be fun. <laughs> so I, that is all the news we can handle. That today. is. <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by Feminism. Are you tired of conforming to gender norms that don't really fit who you are? Have you been frustrated in meetings by having others repeat what you just said and have the room react as if it's the first time they'd heard it? Are your loan rates higher and your salary lower than the guy sitting next to you in the office? Are you unable to express your emotions without being ridiculed? Maybe it's time to ask your doctor about feminism. Side effects might include empowerment, equal pay, respect, being seen, and being heard. Ask your doctor or therapist if feminism is right for you, or you can just decide for yourself. And now... Back to our podcast. Welcome to our Ikigai segment where uh, I try to correct the uh, misinformation I used to give out in the earlier Ikigai segment <laughs> from prior years. And... Um, Today's episode will concentrate on pillar number two, which is releasing yourself. But let me quickly review the five pillars because <laughs> it's been a while since we talked about this. Yeah, it's always good to have that yes. refresher, I think. Pillar one is starting small. Pillar two is releasing yourself. Pillar three is harmony and sustainability. Pillar four is the joy of small things. And pillar five is being in the here and now. And releasing yourself is the second pillar. And it basically is meaning um, you have to, it's, it's letting go of your ego. It's releasing yourself from your ego and letting the work itself become the thing. So it it's related to uh, being in flow. And I don't know if you, you know, if you're listening to this, if you've ever experienced being in flow, uh, being in flow actually kind of combines a few of the pillars. But, um, <clears throat> but one of the main things is you have, you have to, you have to get out of your head. You have to, um, I've, when I am in flow, it is like, 
you know, if you're, if you're composing or if you're writing or if you're creating art of any kind or even any kind of work, um, it's when it's coming effortlessly. It's like, you're not second guessing yourself. It's just coming out of your fingers. You know, I, I've been in flow while I'm writing program, you know, coding. I've been in flow creating music. And sometimes when you're creating music, like with uh, an ensemble and you got, and everybody gets in flow at the same time, it is really, um, it's magical. It's, it's, you know, you're just, you're just vibing with, with the other instruments, the other musicians, and you're playing off each other. And, and it's like, it's almost like you're telepathically connected with the other musicians. Cause you, you know, you don't even like they do a chord change and it's not like anybody says anything and it just, you hear it and it just goes there. And, and, um, you know, some really good jazz ensembles get there. Um, it's happened for me in a, in a group, in a jam session, like once or twice. And it, those were really, really awesome moments. I don't know if I have any, you know, guidance or techniques for how to get there, you know, because this is, this is a, a path I'm learning and I'm kind of finding my own way. But for me, if I, it would have to, you know, like now if I was doing art, for example, and I, and I was hoping to get into flow, I would put on some music that I know would help me get into certain mental states. Cause that, that happens for me too. I want to know, Robin, have you, have you experienced, I think you've experienced flow and you can do this too. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I certainly think I have, <laughs> and it's something that sounds very familiar from a, from an aspect of certainly doing kirtan because that mm. is a, a, a chanting practice that really predisposes you to finding that kind of a state where you're just, if you, you're just repeating the same phrase over and over in a musical way that sort of, that really engenders that kind of just uh, absorption, you know, mm -hmm. getting out of your head in, in a lot of ways. And that sometimes happens it, when performing, I think. It happens for me less in writing and I would love to invite that more often. Mm. But I know that if I'm performing a song that I've done a lot before, then it's sort of just the, you have muscle memory and the emotions just kind of come out and I can just sort of sing and just let it, let it be present. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I think it happens, it can happen while running. Yeah. Or other kinds of exercise, but especially like, a, again, a repetitive kind of thing, swimming. Mm. will do it for me. But at the same time, there are times when I do those things where I'm very much in my head and I'm just sort of uh, <laughs> processing something. And that's okay too. But I do think there are those moments where you kind of forget to worry about things for a minute. <laughs> and that helps. Yeah. Um, so in terms of, of, of ways to get there, I don't, I don't know. I think... Uh, I'm, I'm imagining with Ikigai, because it's really about finding a way of living well. Is that really the ultimate? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the, you know, it's your life. The things you do in your life are such that 
you want to get up out of bed in the morning. You want to go do these things. You know, not like uh, I I need to go earn money so I can have a roof and food. It's more of a a calling, even than mm-hmm. a than a you know than a profession kind of thing. It's it's taking it's taking the the you have you find joy in doing and making, you know that and that's something that you know I'm a, I'm actively working on. You know, because like a lot of times when I'm creating art, I want, I, you know, there's a little voice in my head saying, well, is this going to sell or, you know, or are you going to make any money off of it? Yeah, I, I have to, you know, kind of separate the money business aspect out of the creative process because it's, it's actually hampering me. You know, it's like I won't do some, I won't create a piece of art because it's not commercial or something like that you know and that's that's me being in my head mm-hmm. and and i i have to work on not doing that and getting out of my head and just you know making a thing and and not worrying not worrying if it's going to you know be be something that somebody else is going to want to have mm-hmm. you know I have to like not, I have to not worry about that anymore. Right. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I was going to say that I think getting to this second pillar is about making space, Mm. you know, because I tend to, when I'm not at my best, I fill up every moment with stuff I got to do. And it can easily crowd out the things that are, that I also feel are are vital, even mo- mo- most vital. So like the, the things that feel most energetically vital to me are the things that I will let go by the wayside mm. because it's not the most immediate thing that someone else needs from me. Right. It's like a very typical right. kind of female socialization <laughs> issue when I really think about it, you know? Yeah. And like yeah, like we're not it, we're not worthy unless we are doing for others, right? Or you'll just put everybody else's thing first. Yeah, well, that's you what I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, in terms of I, well, I'm not. Yeah, I'm putting self worth in there too. It's like like yeah, but yeah, yes. yeah. That's part of it, I think too. You know, so um, you know, I've been I'm very, I'm very hard on myself, and which is actually not a trait that I hate. I mean, I think it's an okay trait, but I think it it can be misguided. It can be miscast. So I want to maintain that intensity to get things done, and insist that I take care of myself and what I want to do creatively as a, at least a big part of that. If not, like make it first. <laughs> and really, it's even hard for me to say that should that should come first, and it really should actually you know, and then just giving myself the space to create and to write or to whatever those things are, you Mm. know, I think that's what helps me to get into flow because then there's, there's, there's that expanse of time. It's not like, Oh, I got to get to this meeting or I have to, you know, yeah, I, I, I need enough time away from that to, to let that happen. Yeah. Yeah, and that, and honestly, that kind of 
I was thinking back to our uh, Patreon conversation, and I know I used to think that drugs were a way to get into a flow without doing the work. And it it's I, I'm going to call that false flow because mm. it's not really. You know, I mean, your brain, you may, you may be relaxed and all that other stuff, but it's really not the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's really not the same thing. Being, you know, when I was, if I'm working alone and I get into flow, it's the kind of thing where you, you're doing the work or you're doing whatever you're doing. And then you look up and four hours have gone by and it doesn't feel like four hours have gone by. Yes. You know? I love that feeling. And it hasn't not happened for me nearly enough recently. So, yeah. 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 So, okay. So we're talking about flow and the actual, I guess the English translation for Ikigai, the second part of Ikigai is releasing yourself. Well, the pillar, they, the guy calls it the second pillar is releasing yourself. But okay. yes. Uh, well, flow also, it brings in the fifth pillar and other, the other, the being in the here and now. Um, they're all, all of these pillars are all kind of tightly coupled. Mm-hmm. You know, um, because flow is also being in the here and now. Right. You know, but you can't be in the here and now if you're stuck in your head. You right. Know? So it's, it's, they're, they're almost like the two sides of the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, cause you, cause to get to that fifth pillar, you have to, you have to get past the second one. Mm-hmm. For me, what it's bringing up is, this sense that in a way it's all about quietude. Mm. So, I, at least for me, I think getting quiet enough to sense and feel and then start to move out from there feels mm-hmm. like what a lot of it centers on somehow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you get, you can, I mean, well, meditation, I think, is one way to get out of your ego. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't do meditation very well. I <laughs> I can't sit still that long. And I think if right now, if I try to meditate, if I'm laying down trying to meditate, I'll just fall asleep. Right. Right now, at the, especially right now with the re, because re, I'm not really recovered completely from being sick. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. <sighs> is there a meditation practice that goes with Ikigai? Um, not specifically, specifically, not specifically, but I'm sure you can adapt it to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, anything, anything that's going to help you get to that space in your, in your head or in your, in your practice or in your work is, is valid, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, and it's also, we're trying to, you know, explain and and reproduce something that the Japanese kind of, you get it just from live, you know, growing up in that culture. Right. You know, and that, and that's difficult to, tra- you know, to translate with, with the English language, probably not having the right words for it, mm-hmm. you know, and. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely, it definitely is an interesting proposition. And I mean, it's a lot of, what we all we do in our spiritual paths in a way yeah because you know i mean i i definitely take a lot from the contemplative practices from japan and also india and 
So we have these words, you know, and I think for me, at least doing a lot of practice, like if it's a specific thing like kirtan or meditation or whatever, then I feel like I start to grok some of the, what people are talking about, but it's, Uh you never really know if what I feel and experience is what someone, you know, eons ago wrote down about it or, or even yesterday, you know? Yeah. But I think that's what it is. I think we're all, we're all approaching something in a, in a similar way or in our own ways, but finding some common language around it in a way. Yeah. 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 It's, it's languages. Language is really important because if you don't have words for a concept, then that concept doesn't even exist for you. Right. You know, and, and I can't think of any examples of that right now but I know there are. I've been recently <laughs> reading about la- like languages where there's no word for blue. So like the sky, you would cook, desc- you would describe the sky as green, but, mm. and you, you would think that everyone's seeing the same thing, but there's, there's just a different word for it. And so like a whole class of colors might be described right. as green ish just because we might distinguish between green and blue, but another language may not. Right. Like that. So it's, I, it's interesting. Yeah. yeah I mean, there's, stuff. there's also, um, I mean, we don't have in English a word that means Nirvana. Right. You know, there, that's a really, and Maya, I mean, there's a whole lot of Sanskrit words that don't translate exactly into English. And my, my thought went, Oh well, whatever. Never mind. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Bad music jokes. Anyway, <laughs> but yeah, you know no, that's I, true. And that's I true. Think, and I think I have a sense of what that is, just because I've practiced a long time around in and around cultures that talk about that. But it still is, yeah, elusive and. Yeah, you know, but really yeah, knows, but I have a little inkling, maybe kind of. Yeah, I mean, we're trying to get to. I I would like to think I've maybe experienced something close to that for a short period of time, and I, you know, I can't really describe. You know, English doesn't have the words to describe it. I mean, you can kind of talk your way around it, mm-hmm. but not really. Yeah, you know. And and I I get frustrated and <laughs> it's a I can throw a quote of my mother's out. English has thousands of words, but to I'm paraphrasing now, uh, but to a writer they're not enough. So mm. you know mm-hmm. it's it's, but it's interesting that that when you don't have words for something, that it's e- you know it's easier for people to you know, it, it keeps, it keeps you in this, in this place where you can't even get to where the, the words that we don't have the, that we can't describe this feeling, you know, or an emotion that, that you're experiencing and you can't name it. I Mm. mean, how can you explain to somebody how you're feeling if you don't have words for it, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know? So. Yeah. So, (laughs) <laughs> Sometimes I would like to see the the words that the ikigai text that you're reading now use for these things. Okay. Do they do they give the their the Japanese word for 
This um, pillar, for example? No. Okay. I don't think so. Okay. It I might see that might be another thing that gets in the way, actually. Because we're trying so hard to figure something out when it's really not about figuring out, it's about being somewhere, you know? Yeah. Well it is. It is it is yeah. about being. It it's being. more it's a state of being instead of a state of doing. Right. That's one thing of it. And you know, in Western culture, we are definitely human doings instead of human beings. Right. True. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. we don't we don't say who are you. We say what do you do. Yeah. You know, we define ourselves by what we do instead of who we are. Unless and you're at some like woo woo workshop. I know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, this is this is woo woo workshop adjacent. This whole yeah, discussion. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. You know. And that's where I thrive. That's where I'm happy. So <laughs> not too woo woo. I have. Yeah. My, I mean, it, I guess if I really, really, really want to get into this, I need to you know sign up for Ken Moji's classes and stuff that he does besides writing this book, and kind of you know learn more from listen you know from whatever he does with that you know yeah but anyway it's a good reminder and i think i will give some attention to really getting out of my way and mm. letting things come through whatever that needs to be so that's a good you know it's good because i have been sort of off of my kilter with those kinds of practices and i think it's a it's um I'm going to take this conversation as a challenge to like just make space <laughs> for that. Okay. And, um, and I do, you know, and I have new opportunities to, to, to be making some music and just doing other stuff. So that, that feels more essential and centering. Mm. So that's, that's, this is a good, good reminder. Okay. Hi, I'm Beth Ann Yeager, a budding eco-psychologist, and you are listening to The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. Well, I am very pleased to be here with my old friend Susan Billmeyer on The Leftscape. So welcome, Susan. Thank you, Robin. It's great uh, to be Susan. here. <laughs> Absolutely. You're welcome. Uh, Susan Billmeyer's professional background is in religion, ethics, and philosophy applied to higher education and nonprofit management. This coincides with a lifetime of self-education in healing arts, religious ritual, and psychological and philosophical study of the big questions like, who am I and why am I here? So that is... Um, those are big questions, <laughs> and I'm really looking forward to talking to you and uh, learning more about all of this. Yeah, good. Thanks, Robin. So, uh, absolutely. So, my first question really is, what does the first sentence of your bio mean? Like, can you can you tell me a little bit more about what you've done? Be more specific about like spiritual and philosophical work in education and nonprofits. Like, what 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 was that, or is sure. that for you? So they're kind of scrunched all together in one sentence, but they're a little bit separate. My professional training in academics is uh, I have a PhD in political science, specifically in political theory. So those questions for me were things like, how do I become a better person to contribute to society and a community? 
And how do we, community members, political beings, citizens, create better and better communities together? How do we do that in a political way? So that's the political philosophy. Then with that, um, there are a lot of ethics involved in that because how do we do that in a way that is ethical and socially just and fair to everyone? How do we you know, have all of these different voices communicating in such a way that the whole society, the whole community can move together forward in, har- in a harmonious way? So a lot of ethics with the political philosophy. Then uh, with that, I worked at the Woodrow Wilson Fellowship Foundation, uh, which has since changed its name. I'm actually not sure what it's called right now, but I was the program officer for two dissertation fellowships. One was the Charlotte Newcomb Doctoral Dissertation Fellowship in Religion and Ethics, and the other one was the uh, Woodrow Wilson Dissertation Fellowship for Women and Gender Studies. So very similar themes, religion, ethics, philosophy, how do we move forward together? How do we create things together as a society, as a world? Um, How do we do that in an ethical, just way? And how do we work with a diverse community to propel ourselves forward in a harmonious way? That is incredibly important work. And I sometimes, it's like, that is a big question for me. Like, how do you where do you start and how do you communicate across so many different kinds of people that we we need to talk with in in real ways you know so were were you doing that work at I met you at Rutgers University years ago was that where you started this work <laughs> well we met or do, do, do I say or? how long we've known each other robin <laughs> I mean, we know, but everywhere, you know, might, people know yeah, so it's been a long time <laughs> for so, sure. <clears throat> so, so, yeah. So, yeah, the, the work did begin certainly when we met all that time ago. Uh, I was in political science as an undergraduate. I was in women and gender studies as an undergraduate. We both worked with the LGBT, the, the Lesbian Gay Alliance at that time. Uh, doing a lot of social... They added letters as as they went. (laughs) Yes, yes, they did. (laughs) Um, So it began there. And then um, I took a break. Uh, I left my undergraduate and and didn't come back to education for 13 years. And so those 13 years in between was kind of uh, self-exploration, figuring myself out, doing a variety of different jobs, and vocations, having a lot of fun, being a free spirit, you know, just kind of living life. I never, I, de- I never wanted to get stuck behind a desk in my 20s or, you know, start that downward spiral of go to work, sit at my desk for eight hours, go home, eat dinner, go to bed, get up, go to work. Like, I never wanted to get into that. So I decided I was going to live my life and then have a career so that I could retire, you know, Anyway, so I lived, you know, exploring myself for about 13 years and then returned to Rutgers uh, in 2003 to follow the PhD path. Nice. And I I think, yes, and that's when we reconnected, I think, for a while. So that was, that that makes sense. That timeline makes sense. That's cool. So on this, 
on this podcast, we've talked all season about freedom in different ways. And we're talking about, you know, specific political rights, like the freedom from want, so that we should have, you know, be free to have all the things that we need, the basic necessities and freedom to exist as a queer person, for example, or freedom of expression and that sort of thing. And I know that you have a, a deep interest in like a real universal kind of ultimate freedom. And that is you call what you call moksha. And that's the yeah. Sanskrit word, I believe. Yep. Right. So yep. what is moksha? How did you, what path does that come from in your tradition? And how can well, you describe that so i don't so first i don't have a specific tradition i say that i practice religious fluidity uh, i am comfortable in a lot of different religions uh, christianity hinduism buddhism a little bit of islam and i love just you know how people practice god and I mean practice, because religion is specifically systems and processes that are put into place. So there's religion that is kind of dogma and, you know, specific rituals, which I don't particularly love dogma, but I like rituals and celebrations and things like that. And then there's spirituality, which is more introspection, self-reflection, and how a person feels personally about their relationship to a higher order or a higher divine being. So that's the first thing. I'm religiously fluid and uh, am comfortable in a lot of different categories for religion and spirituality. With that said, the particular tradition that moksha comes from, in my experience, is from Sanskrit. And it's about, so moksha means freedom. And in this particular tradition, how I've learned it, it's the freedom from ego or the freedom from the little individualized self that thinks of or perceives itself as separate from the divine self or the higher self or the oneness that is that encompasses everything. So to achieve moksha, to achieve this freedom, it's about a constant letting go of the things that get in the way of a natural divinity. And when you can let go of everything that stands in the way of natural divinity, you all that's left is your natural divinity. So I think I'm hearing you talk about the divine as something that could be named or unnamed. So it's something that could you could talk about with someone who doesn't have a religious practice necessarily or, or a God concept, but it's I believe sort so. of other than that or beyond than that. It's, yeah. Beyond that. Yeah. And in okay. fact, I was talking to a friend of mine uh, um, a, a few months ago and uh, this friend calls herself an atheist. And so I said, okay, well, how do you, you know, what, what do you think life is? Like, what is, what is atheism to you? What is, what, how do you experience life? And uh, she then proceeded to explain that life is energy. Everything is energy. Everything interacts inter in an interconnected energetic way. And ultimately all you have is energy. So it's all one. And I said to her, I was like, oh, well with that definition, I guess I'm an atheist too. Because that's one definition of God is that everything is energy. God is energy and it's all interconnected and there's only energy. 
Right. Yeah, that sounds very familiar. I was going to say that just sounds like a lot of spiritual paths I've heard described, really. Mm-hmm. So that's that's interesting. That's cool. So divine, you use the term, the divine, what was the uh, the term you said? Natural divinity. As moksha, natural divinity. Mm-hmm. What does that feel like for you or what is that for you? Hmm. I guess the way that I think of it and the way I experience it is that I, in this body, with this mind, can have a loving, compassionate, kind, harmonious life, an abundant life, an abundant, uh, a life that's just full and rich and joy-filled and peaceful and not saying, see, yeah, let me pause a sec and throw this in. Because some people think that spirituality or divinity is about, oh, everything's going to be smooth sailing. You know, if my life isn't perfect, you know, they have this kind of false positivity about, you know, when you bring spirituality in, everything is just perfect. And that's that's not really my concept of spirituality or divinity. It's like you still have to go through life. You still have the ups and downs of life, but there's an inner peace. There's an inner calm. There's an inner harmony. There's an inner kind of understanding and observation of watching my life work really well. And so that to me and and it has progressed over my life as i've gone deeper i guess into practices and and in uncovering my own natural divinity my life works really well and continues to improve and i still have emotions i still go up and down i still get fraught with you know confusion or something like that but just in general like I look at my life, I'm rel- I'm I'm happy, I'm peaceful, I'm I have a good I have a good life, and so spirituality becomes very practical then, or having a natural divinity becomes very practical because it's expression, and when you can get into the kind of this role of expressing and experiencing this natural divinity, life just gets better, in my experience. Mm, mm-hmm. So, what are the things that you do in that? to experience that or just what are the things you do as you experience that i guess i could say to in in order to experience or as i because they're i i guess i'm gonna um but we both but whichever i mean i i guess i was thinking of the rituals that you yeah like to practice or that you've adopted over the years or yeah from the most complex to the simple whatever whatever that is for you sure sure so what i have come to believe is that practices matter. Commitment to a practice matters. In the simplest form, almost every religion has some sort of practice that involves the elements, earth, air, water, and fire. So earth practices are things like, you know, keeping your body healthy, fasting, not eating meat, as in like Buddhism or Hinduism, um, drinking lots of water, you know, exercising, doing things that are good for your body. 
those are earth practices. And those practices would also include things like, you know, taking care of your finances, taking care of your home, things that are, you know, the surround, the material surroundings. And so for myself, I fast, I cleanse, and I have had a long journey of trying to figure out my finances and get my finances in order. Water practices, every religion has some kind of a water practice, baptism and Christianity. Um, so my personal water practice is taking baths. I love taking baths and water cleanses, you know, your body is 70% water. And so laying in water, your body water is being cleansed by the water that you're laying in and it's relaxing and you're taking care of your body and you're doing it with water. So that's my water practice. Fire, uh, fire is the creative spark. So fire is this, you know, really intense creation kind of uh, energy. And a very simple fire practice is to watch a candle flame, to do just uh, just watch the flame. Or you can sit with a campfire, and the campfire um, in the tradition that I am familiar with, the the fire actually cleanses the energetic body. So as you sit with a fire, your energetic body is rotating through the flames and being cleansed by the flames. There are also, there's a ritual that I do that's called, uh, it's a ritual fire in the mornings called a hoven. And that entails practices or prayers and tossing uh, rice and grains and ghee into the fire with a swaha, which means, you know, I release this, I offer this to the fire, and I do that practice. And then uh, finally, air practice is uh, very simple. It's breathing, right? Uh, in a lot of traditions, the breath is so important to life and to spirituality, um, the breath of life. God breathed in the Christian tradition. God breathed the breath of life into Adam. Um, in the Hindu tradition, prana is uh, gained in the body through the breath. So as you breathe and do breathing practices, you are breathing energy as well as air, and it's stimulating your neurons, your nervous system, your circulation system, all of your organs, all of your muscles, because the energy is coming in with the oxygen in the air. Um, so those are basic practices of earth, air, water, and fire. And then even more basic in some ways is silence, just being quiet and tuning into the stillness is a practice. And that's practiced in like Quakerism. Um, when you go to a Quaker friend's house, the meeting is silent. And all you're doing in that silent meeting at a Quaker friend's house is being silent and feeling the presence of God to the best of your ability. Um, and then prayer, which is communication. So pr communication with God, communication with the divine, you know, ev evolving your thoughts and putting them in touch with something that's higher and greater than yourself. So to answer your question, earth, air, water, fire, silence, and prayer. Those are, that covers it, right? <laughs> Those are very cool. And I, I appreciate the universal nature of what you're talking about. Like you really are connecting to a lot of, to collecting, connecting to something that feels very universal in, in many ways and seeing those many ways that are possible. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. which is which is interesting because I think some people there's this sort of political debate currently about well you mentioned spiritual bypass I was going to ask you about that and you sound very 
aware of that as a possibility and 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 sort of making sure you're not just seeing like oh everything's fine because I do this thing or because I believe this thing you know it's it's more grounded it sounds but my other question is about appropriation and I know that a lot of people are very uh concerned or nervous about that aspect of spirituality these days and like mm-hmm. I personally resonate a lot with the idea of connecting with what calls you mm-hmm you know, and those can come from anywhere in the world. Uh, I wonder if you have encountered that or wrestled with that idea at all. So let me just clarify. So when um, appropriation, would that be, for example, like Westerners doing yoga and thinking that they're being spiritual spiritual about doing yoga? I mean, is that what you're talking about? Yes, that's or, what I think a lot. Or of using ayahuasca. Using ayahuasca as a spiritual tool when you don't really know anything about the culture or what ayahuasca is really capable of, things like that. I I think so. Yes, and I don't. I mean, I think people have various degrees of what they think is okay or not okay, whether you know about it or not, or how you know. I don't. I don't know. But that's. Uh, but, but I know that you exact- were just recently in India. Were you studying? Were right. you studying or teaching in India recently? Uh. I went to, so uh, there's a Hindu celebration uh, called Navaratri, which is a nine day, nine night uh, celebration of the Divine Mother. Mm -hmm. And the two big times uh, that that's celebrated is in the fall and in the spring. So I went for the spring Navaratri. So celebration of the Divine Mother. It was amazing. So beautiful. uh, All right. So, so to get back to your question, the, the, the thing, so it's kind of a fine line right? Because on the one hand, people just kind of dabble and want to try this or try that and kind of approach things with, you know, we, we in America kind of have this very commercial, superficial approach to so many things and there's an inauthenticity about that. I, I, and this is my opinion, like how Americans approach things is just in a lot of ways superficial. Like we don't think deeply about things. We don't, you know, anyway. So, so to that degree that people are just trying stuff and consumerism and jumping on the bandwagon and wanting to try things because it's the next big thing. Yes. I'm worried about, I I am concerned about cultural appropriation because then it's just the next Mm. new thing. It's irreverent. It's disrespectful. There's no thoughtfulness about it. Um, There's no actual seeking, you know, it's just the next new thing. On the other hand, and for for myself, like I, the things that I do, I take very seriously, and it's a study for me, and it's a going deep and a trying to figure out, and it's using these wide variety of spiritual texts and traditions to answer questions for myself in a way that works for me. Um, I do worry about like especially with Hinduism, because Hinduism, there's so many rules and so many ways to do things wrong. And I do worry about like, especially while I was there, okay, 
always use your right hand. Don't use your left hand. Always use your right hand. Don't use your forefinger to do, you know, to do the mala thing. Don't point your legs or feet towards somebody or towards the altar. Um, sit with your head facing this certain way, you know, east, west. Like there are so many rules. But the thing is that, and this was one of the things that I really understood very deeply while I was there, is that God, God doesn't care. The Divine Mother, because I was there for the Divine Mother Festival, you know, if you are authentically, truly, genuinely doing something to connect with God within yourself, then that, that's what God cares about, is your genuine willingness to seek a deeper connection. So I think that's the line for, for me, is, and, and I can't judge that. See, then, then there's also the judgment question, right? Because I can't judge anyone else's interaction with whatever tool they are using to seek the divine. I can't judge whether they are doing it authentically or inauthentically. Only God can do that. And so even though I might look at someone who is, you know, you know, saying they're a yogi and it looks superficial to me, to them it might be the deepest place they can go, and I don't know that. Did that answer your question? There was a lot there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. That's it, it's a lot to think about, and I I really hear your I it's a it was a very thoughtful response. I really appreciate that. <laughs> Actually, yeah, that's, thank you. What gets in your way what, in your practice? In my practice? Well, so currently, currently I've got something in the way that I don't actually know what it is. Um, I have felt lethargic and demotivated, and and I would rather watch Netflix than do my practices and... I, I don't know. So I get in my own way. That's the answer. I get in my own way. Um, I'm kind of sharing with you the most immediate thing that's going on. When I don't know what's in the way and I can usually feel it, what I do is I back up. I do the best that I can do to do the best that I can do. And while I'm doing what little I think I can do, I'm saying to God, God, I'm really sorry. I'm not in this at all. I apologize. I'm doing this little thing and I'm giving you this one little willingness and I am so willing to do this one thing. Please use this one thing that I can do to open the door so that I can do more because I really want to do more, but I don't have it in me right now. So help me. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And so those are the things like that not knowing, being uncertain, feeling lethargic, uncertainty gets in my way. And so I just back up and do the best that I can do after having retreated to a point where I can actually do something. Mm-hmm. And how do, you, how do you apply this kind of way of being in life 
to the political and the activist and the things that you also feel are important? Because one is really about sort of experiencing and kind of backing up. And, you know, in Buddhism, they talk about non-attachment and and not really acting with a, a need for an outcome. And then mm-hmm. at the same time, we have these things in our in our worlds that feel very urgent, you know, mm-hmm. and things mm-hmm. that need to be to uh, approached and, and worked on and that sort of thing. And how does that, how do you synthesize that? Because that it seems to be that you've focused on that to some degree. Yeah. So spirituality is really practical to me. We started with where my education was, which was political philosophy, which is how do we, we community together, create a society that works in better and better ways for everyone. And the answer that I have evolved into is that first, my first step is to improve myself and to be the best person that I can be because it's only through being the best person that I can be that I can bring that to my community. And so spirituality is my way of exploring, evolving, and becoming the best person that I can be. And the reason I think that is because spirituality has some of the highest thoughts that can be thought. Like if you think the thought of love or compassion or kindness that are basic in most religions, like those are really high quality thoughts. And you can think thoughts of like uh, how to improve the water downtown or the, the post office delivery system or, you know, things that communities need, but there are higher thoughts than that. And because action follows thought, the higher the thoughts that you can have, the higher the actions that are produced. So for me, spirituality gives me the highest possible thoughts that I can think and the actions that follow those high thoughts are higher quality actions. So when you say high thoughts, you're talking about sort of like top level, most deep connection things that, that we can think about or, 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 or experience or strive for in our, in yeah. our lives. Yeah. So and, love, and okay. I would say there's love, not, peace, um, all those. Yeah. And it's not a cookie cutter. Like everybody individually is going to have their own personal, what's the highest thought I can have at this moment. Because sometimes like if you're in an argument Mm -hmm. with someone and you're, you know, fuming and you ask yourself, okay, what's the highest quality thought that I can have right now? Chances are, it's not going to be love. It's going to be, I'm going to tolerate this or something. But at every moment, there's the option of what is the highest quality thought that I can have right now. And as you evolve further, you know, as you consistently have higher quality thoughts, you can have higher quality thoughts more often in more situations. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I find myself resistant to the 
hierarchy, but I understand intuitively what you mean. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, the hierarchy of like, it's just interesting terminology. Yeah. 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 Because I think we get into this thing of like the the mind mm-hmm. is better than the body and the spirit is better than the mind. Or, and I don't think, I don't quite resonate with those concepts. But I, in another way, I absolutely get what you're saying right now. I mean, that, that makes oh. perfect sense to me. And it's interesting how we sort of, our la- I think our language is limited. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And... <laughs> It's hard to describe some of these things, but I, but I get, I totally get it too. Yeah. At the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Cause I, I mean, I guess the same thing, like it wouldn't have to be the highest quality thought. What's the highest quality feeling I can have right now? What's the highest quality sensation that I could have right now? Right. It doesn't have to, I guess I, I did limit it to thought or whatever, but you're right. I mean, it, it wouldn't have to be limited to just thoughts. It could be feelings or um, body sensations or um, words or anything like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Interesting. So what are your words of wisdom for people who are wanting to get on a path of moksha freedom, which is big, big freedom? (laughs) Want to always become more than what you are now and serve others towards a higher purpose as often as you can. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. And where can we find you these days? Are you teaching these things? Are you just experiencing and living your best life? (laughs) (laughs) I'm, um, I am in transition. I do have a website. It's withpearls.com where I have a lot of my spiritual ideas on uh, uh, on a couple of pages. Earth, air, water, fire is all on that website. I'm, I'm in transition and hoping to do a lot more writing in the near future. Mm. I know that feeling. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Well, thank you for sharing this. This has been a really, really good conversation. I appreciate hearing your way of being in the world and the way you bring it to all of us. So thank you. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. It's been, this is wonderful. You got questions? We got answers. And today's question is from the internet. And it is, what is your favorite ride at an amusement park? And it can be any amusement park. The internet is asking you questions now? Yes, the internet (laughs) is asking me questions now. Okay. I think that means I I need to ask some people to ask us more questions. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite ride at an amusement park. I like the gentle rides actually okay so i like going on the merry-go-round and a ferris <laughs> wheel <laughs> things like that and silly little smaller roller coasters are fun okay i like i like the roller coasters i like the ones that make you pull a bunch of g's the ones that could also conceivably be part of astronaut training <laughs> okay 
Because that's my fantasy. I get in the roller coaster and it's like, I'm going to space. You know, <laughs> uh, I haven't been on one in a really, really long time. And I, and I don't really have any plans for going anytime soon either. Mm. So, but that was, that was my big, my big thrill was the big ride, the big roller coaster rides. Okay. So. Yeah. I mean, I, there was an old wooden roller coaster at a park near me that I loved and it was like, it's fun and it's enough of a of of like the up and down and around mm-hmm. and stuff that's cool. But some of the ones they like they become more and more extreme and oh, I've yeah. been on them that aren't just not enjoyable. Like it's oh. just it's just sort of more painful than anything to me. Well, so. that's no fun. Yeah, no. So it kind of just depends on how they're calibrated or something. Yeah. But. I mean, there was one at Great Adventure that I never managed to get on. It was Batman the Ride, and it's probably been redone a lot since it was there. Like the first time, I was slightly pregnant, and and I threw slightly up. In the- <laughs> I wasn't showing yet, okay. So they couldn't keep me off the ride, but I threw up in the line, <laughs> so oh. we didn't go. <laughs> and I think the second time I went there, the kids we were with. My stepsons were too short, so we couldn't go on the ride. So that was like, that's it. And I haven't been back there since. Oh, so, wow. so that was that. But I don't, I don't know that I would have enjoyed. That's one of the ones where your feet are hanging. Yeah, no. you know, I and that would have been the first time I was on one of those. So I don't know. Yeah, um, I think I could do without the it. rock and roller coaster at Disney World was like really, and maybe that, maybe that wasn't, maybe that was Six Flags in Tampa. I don't know. I don't know now. One of those. I th- it was either Disney or, or the other one, and that one was really good. <laughs> All right. And I don't, this isn't a ride technically, but I love spooky houses. Ah. So those are, whenever there's the, they have those at amusement parks, I'm all about it. <laughs> no, I don't like those anymore. Uh. I, I don't like, I don't like people jump scaring me. <laughs> um, I was, I was in one, I was working one at the, at, on campus and, and I got kicked in the face because oh, I scared man. somebody too much because I was right. on the ground, like grabbing people's legs oh, and begging, help me, help me in the total darkness. And somebody just freaked out and kicked and got me in the face. So that Ouch. was like, yeah, I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. I'll pass. Oh man. Um, so oh, on our, cool. yeah, on our next show. <laughs> I am going to talk with some of the primary challengers for mayor and city council in Rahway, New Jersey, where I live. And Robin is going to be interviewing me in our artscape segment. And I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> yes, I am interested in hearing what you've got going on. So that should be a good show. And I'm Robin Renee, and you can find me on Facebook at Robin Renee Fan or Instagram at Robin Renee Music and on Twitter at Spirit Rock Sexy. So definitely reach out, follow me, say hi. <laughs> and uh, if you like to hang out on Discord, let me know. I'm there as Andrew Genus. Maybe we can uh, connect. And I'm Wendy Sheridan, and you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Wendy Cards. On Twitter at Wendy Designs and on Etsy at Wendy Cards with a Z. And I'm on Discord as Voxwoman, but I am very rarely actually on Discord. Yeah, I know. I hardly ever see it. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like it sh- it fires up when I turn on my laptop. I go, ah, close that, close that. <laughs> um, and remember, you can always reach out to us on social media at Leftscape. We'd love to hear from you. Send us your questions. We might answer one on an upcoming show. And we, as you can hear, we need questions. So <laughs> we do. Please, please do. 
<laughs> so until next time, be well, get naked, and keep left. Keep left. You've been listening to the Leftscape Podcast. Sound engineering by Wendy Sheridan. Show notes by Robin Renee. Fake sponsor messages by Ariel Sheridan. Web hosting by InMotion. Remote recording by Squadcast. If you like what you hear, please share it with your friends. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Leftscape. Become a patron of our show for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash leftscape. Thanks for listening. <laughs>